Welcome back to the Mutual Aid on Lockdown podcast, a podcast all about people doing different mutual aid projects all around the country, all around the world. Um, And in each episode, I'm talking with different people from these different areas and asking them how they're doing what they're doing, what problems they're running into and what successes they're running into. Um, And the goal of all of this is so that you, the listener, can can kind of hear these conversations and hear the steps that people are taking and maybe implement them where you're at and maybe maybe certain aspects of a certain group will work perfectly in your neighborhood or in your area. And so that's, that's what this whole podcast is about, is about making that happen. Um, so for more information about that, you can go to www.mutualaidlockdown.com. And if you and your friends have a project that should be on this podcast, then you should email mutualaidlockdown at gmail.com. And um, yeah, I would love to hear what y'all are doing. So, so today I'm lucky to be joined by Maggie, who is an organizer from the Cleveland area. And she's been involved in mutual aid efforts for a long time, doing a lot of work ranging from Food Not Bombs, which does food sharing and food support, to the Northeast Ohio Coalition for the Homeless, or N-E-O-C-H, and even to the more recent Cleveland pandemic response. Um, yeah, so thanks so much, Maggie, for, for coming on the show and taking the time to talk. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so there's, when we were talking beforehand, there was so much that I'm excited to get into, but I think that a good place to start is the Cleveland pandemic response, because that seems like a, a group that is formed in response to this and is very much kind of related to the COVID-19 crisis. And I was checking out the website before, um, before we were started recording this and I, it, it's great. And it's, uh, www.cleveland.recovers.org. And I had mm-hmm. never heard of recovers.org, and that seems like a great platform to be doing these uh, these type of projects through. So, um, so check out www.cleveland.recovers.org, and that will give you, the listener, a little bit of a context for what we're going to talk about with the Cleveland pandemic response. But yeah, Maggie, how about um, maybe we could just start by describing Cleveland pandemic response just in general and like what, what you all are, are up to. Sure. Um, So it is a group of organizers and volunteers that came together, um, I would say early March, um, to talk about the the growing collective needs of the Cleveland community and even the Northeast Ohio community. Um, And some of us had kind of known each other before that from engaging in like um, social activism or other mutual aid projects. Um, But we all kind of knew that this this thing was going to be big and scary and also um, an opportunity to build closer relationships with our neighbors and our community. And so we wanted to make sure we were doing everything we can to both meet people's material needs and also just provide that sense of close-knit community um, wherever we can. Yeah, definitely. That, yeah, that, that's so rad. So what, um, what kind of, what kind of work are you all engaging in? There's, I see in the website that there's, um, an aspect of it is, is connecting neighbors to deliver groceries and other essential goods. Um, is that correct? Yeah. So, um, anyone can join the community hub either as an individual or as an organization, if they belong to one. Um, and then if you're just a, an individual at home and you think, man, I have excess toilet paper somehow. And I know there's people out there who need it. And I maybe don't need quite as much as I originally thought Mm -hmm, you can get on there. 
um, and just register as um, I'm Maggie. I'm from the east suburbs of Cleveland, and I have six packs of toilet paper to offer, and you can just post that. Um, and then a volunteer or another organization that has been on the hub can see that and match you up with someone who's in desperate need of toilet paper and you can either drive it to them or they can find another volunteer to come and pick it up from you and take it to where it needs to go um and that also applies to like organizations like um i work with food not bombs when we're registered mm -hmm. on the community hub oh, so we cool. go on there we have a volunteer that goes on there each week and sees okay these three people on the east side need food delivered to them because they can't get out of the house and these four people on the west side need it and they'll recruit two volunteers to pick food up from our food share and deliver it to those houses oh that's great yeah i love i love that idea and i love how um i love the concept of uh, that it sounds like you're not necessarily making like a group that's like, okay, our group of five or 10 volunteers will re respond to all these needs. Instead, it seems like more of like creating this network, creating yeah. a hub so that, so that to connect all the people who are wanting to volunteer with all the people mm -hmm. who need, who need some assistance or who need that volunteer help. Yeah. That's awesome. We're pretty clear about like, we try to let folks know, cause I think that people are, more familiar with like the service provider model mm -hmm. so you know they're used to going to an agency for help and that agency is you know funded by x y and z foundation mm -hmm. um and has usually a lot more resources right um and so they have expectations of how that's going to go um and sometimes those are positive expectations sometimes it's like oh you know i've already been turned down by the food bank and the whatever, you know, yeah. larger organizations. Um, so I probably don't qualify for help or whatever, but like mutual aid tells us that that's not a thing, right? Like yeah. everyone deserves to eat. Everyone deserves to have a home to live in and clean water to drink and all of these things. Mm -hmm. So we try to make it clear when folks sign up on the hub, either as um, someone requesting aid or offering aid, that this is um, a reciprocal exchange so that everyone is both participating and benefiting um, and that we're not like um, a charity or an agency. We're just a network of people looking to support each other. Yes, totally. I, and I love how you, you put a name to it that, that the service provider model. And I, and that's something that I've had, like, I could picture it in my head, but I didn't know what to call it. So it's, it's really good to have a name for that now. Cause I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, I may be cheating a little bit. I'm the, um, so I'm the education coordinator at NIOC. And one of the tasks that I was given when the pandemic started was to come up with educational tools to share with people doing mutual aid work in the community. So I've amazing. given a, a PowerPoint presentation several times now um, about the service provider model versus mutual aid model and all of that stuff. So that's, yeah, that, that's amazing. I love to hear that. So you're, um, so you're going around to different, uh, to different nonprofits. Or is it to give this presentation or is it? Um, well, we, there's kind of two versions of it. There's a, an abbreviated version that I do sometimes. And then I've also kind of trained other folks to be able to do on the um what we call onboarding like a welcome meeting on zoom so mm -hmm. if somebody signs up on the hub and they're like you know i don't necessarily want to deliver groceries but i'd love to be one of the people making the matches or managing the spreadsheets or doing social media content you know um kind of the core organizing work they can get on a zoom welcome meeting or an onboarding um and during the onboarding we have a, a short presentation on both 
values, like what we, you know, what we define mutual aid as and what our values are as an organization, which I think is really important. And then um, kind of the nuts and bolts of how to get involved. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I did a, um, so me, um, Chrissy Stonebreaker Martinez and Sunseer Ali Shakur, um, who all have a lot of um, experience doing this kind of work. We did a webinar that was um, it was done for NIAC, the Northeast Ohio Coalition for the Homeless, um, and it was basically aimed at kind of like the mid-level nonprofits and service providers um, to let them know if they hadn't heard of mutual aid before, like what mm-hmm. it is and how it's at work in our community and how they can and should be supporting that work. So really trying to get more engagement from some of the like community organizations, like not huge, but like, um, you know, like the mid-level organizations and provide them with ways that they can be supporting this work. That's great. And so have you been able to get some buy-in from mid-level organizations like that? Yeah, um, I think so. I think we've seen a change in the way, you know, slight changes in the way that people operate. Um, so we, we've asked to, um, to share resources. If you have a Zoom meeting room because your nonprofit can pay for that, um, offer that up to a small community organization so they can meet. Um, oh. Same as like if it were normal times and you had a conference room, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, and reduce restrictions on what people have to do to access the resources that you provide. Um, because people who have never written a grant before or um, filled out an application to be a member of the food bank or whatever, anybody who's trying to get resources for their community, they may not have the technical skills required to meet all of your qualifications. Mm. And so we're really asking them to kind of open it up and just make it more accessible to people who are on the ground doing the work because those are the people with the required expertise to know what the community needs because they are the community. Yeah, this makes total sense. I love this conversation because it's something that I hadn't considered that much. Um, I think that a lot of a lot of the conversations that I've had so far have been um, have been outside of the outside of the mid-level nonprofit organizations, yeah. which is fine and which sure. is great. And I, um, but I hadn't yet considered how how much value there could be in in working with them in a way that kind of makes them more um, up to speed on on mutual aid and how to help how their leverages how their resources could be leveraged in favor sure. of mutual aid. Yeah, I think especially in a time like this, a lot of the. Um, the more institutional organizations are scrambling to figure out like, man, the model we were using before just isn't going to work in mm-hmm. this new landscape. So um, the way we kind of sold it is like mutual aid organizations have already been doing this work. They're launching new projects. They know how to do the on the ground work. Um, and you can increase your institution's capacity by handing off some of that responsibility and some trust to those networks mm-hmm. um, to allow them to reach people who you would never see in your office who aren't going to leave their home or who aren't, you know, savvy enough to even know that your resources exist. Mm-hmm. So really like you're expanding your capacity as a, as an institution and you're providing support to people who know what they're doing and who desperately need more resources to do it. Yes, definitely. Definitely. That makes total sense. So in, um, when you're setting up this hub, will you describe a little bit of how, of how you went about that. And I'm thinking specifically about the, um, the platform recover.org that you were telling me about, because that's something that I had never heard of, but it seems like something that a lot of people would probably find useful. Yeah. Um, 
man, it's like that. Our first meetings were only like like two months ago, less than two months ago, but it feels like a yeah, century. It feels, um, yeah, it feels like last year, right? <laughs> so many Zoom meetings. Um, yeah. So I think we we kind of looked at a couple of different platforms that we thought about using. A lot of groups were using like Google Forms, and I think we originally did set up a Google Form as our just initial like way to get um, people into the system. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the, the organizers on the original call, and I can't remember who it was now, um, had worked with recovers in the past um they were i think after hurricane katrina and after a couple of other like localized um disaster responses um recovers.org had been used as a platform for people to offer mutual aid so um we thought that it was the best platform available to us it was designed for something a little bit slightly different, but I, I think um, overall we've done a good job of making it work um, in this scenario. And I think it could work in most places. Awesome. Yeah. So, so um, will you go th- uh, in and, and kind of describe a little bit of what, what recovers.org allows you to do? I see on this website, you can, um, you can click buttons like I want to give, I want to volunteer, or I have a need. Yeah. Um, and there's another button that says find resources and then all yeah. along the side, there's a lot of other links too. Um, sure. Yeah, so just, yeah. Um, so like I said, anybody can join either as an individual or as an organization. If you click one of those first three buttons that you mentioned, anyone can do that without having to like register or create a new account, um, which makes it a lot easier. Like we always try to say like, if the project is not accessible to people, then you have to do something different. And so what I like about this platform is that like, you can literally click one button, you put in either your email, your phone number, however, someone can get a hold of you and just tell us what you need. Um, So that part's super quick and easy. And you can either, yeah, request aid, um, volunteer or offer up resources. And then um, you can also click, um, I represent a local organization. And once you do that, you actually create a profile um, for, you know, whoever the local organization is. Um, And I did that for Food Not Bombs and for NEOC. And you can list the resources. Like obviously Food Not Bombs has food shares every week Mm -hmm. and we list that as a resource. And once you do that, it pops up on the resource map. Um, You do have to have an address. So if you're like a mobile thing, you have to come up with some kind of fake address or something. Um, mm-hmm. But then it'll pop up on the the resource map. And that means um, that when people are looking for resources to fill needs, they can they can click on those kind of ongoing um, resources that are different from the like one person who has six rolls of toilet paper. Oh, I got you. And I'm, I opened up. Yeah, I clicked on that part on the recovers.org site it's uh find resources so i clicked on that and it mm-hmm. it brought up this map that you're talking about and it's kind of like yeah. a google map where i can now see uh i can click on the little different arrows and see like food uh food resources like you're talking about and it looks like there's quite a few of these things going on maybe mm-hmm. resources legal counseling translation uh this is yeah leap office yeah. these yeah this looks cool and so those are all of the organizations that are actually registered, have taken that step to register on the hub. Oh. Um, but we recognize that, like, you know, 
the Red Cross or the food bank or some of these like really like big institutions, like they may have resources to offer, but we're never going to get them on the hub. So that's where that other list, like the side panel um, of just things that we know exist that could be helpful to you. We don't necessarily have a relationship or an in there, but you can go to this pantry at this time and get food or you can call this number and try to get rental assistance or whatever. Yeah, totally. And there's a ton of these here. There's like there's. Yeah, it looks like they're maybe grouped sometimes by uh, by neighborhood, like East Cleveland resources, yeah. Fairfax resources, Gateway District resources. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is this is great. Um, yeah, housing, COVID nineteen housing resources, legal resources, mental health resources, and it's all right here on the homepage. Yeah. That's awesome. So when, um, so h- how many people do you have kind of behind the scenes managing this? Because I'm imagining that when when somebody clicks. I have a need then mm-hmm. and they fill out their need then probably a, an email or a notification gets sent to some human person in your group correct <laughs> yeah um i think i don't think everyone gets a notification but we have a certain number of people that are monitoring the hub every day and they see the most recent um needs that have come in mm-hmm. and i would say so like those people are called match coordinators that's what we have oh, dubbed great. them and they, I would say, usually there's like four or five of those people um, monitoring the, the hub at any given time. Um, and then there's maybe 10 other people doing all of the other various things that have to happen in order to make that work. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And that, that, that makes total sense. And so what, that seems pretty straightforward. And then what other what other kind of behind the scenes tasks are are involved with it? If somebody is thinking like, oh, I have, you know, me and five friends who could who could mm-hmm. do this right now, if it's if that's all it takes is just kind of being that person to to match the resources. And so if if somebody is in, you know, if they're if their gears are turning in that direction right now, what yeah. what other things should they kind of be prepared for and they, you know, should they have on their radar as far as tasks um, involved in in running a group like this? Yeah, there's, oh man, there's a lot of different things. So like, um, one of the big things is outreach, which basically means there's a team of people whose job it is to reach out to organizations that are already doing mutual aid work or service providers, um, and try to either, you know, get those grassroots organizations registered on the hub or get access to a list of resources offered by a particular agency and get it on that list. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, so resource mapping, Mm -hmm. I guess broadly is a big thing. Um, And then we have another program that's still kind of in its infancy um, called the street ambassador program, which basically means that like, if you live on your block and you have access to the internet and can figure out, you know, how to do the post that I have a need um, or even I think you register as an organization and try to find resources, but you know that there's a certain number of people on your street who either don't have internet access are older and not super familiar with technology, um, have a language barrier, maybe don't speak or read English, learning disabilities, mental health issues, scheduling conflicts, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, The street ambassador uh, is tasked with either forming or if they already have relationships with all the people in their neighborhood, um, finding out what their needs are. And there's a lot of creative, like contact-free ways that you can do that. Um, And then posting on behalf of those people on the hub and getting the resources where they need to go. Gotcha, we know not gotcha. everyone is like a techie, right? Got, oh yeah. That, that makes total sense because yeah, that, 
the yeah that opens up the this whole process and this whole hub to an entire different um group of people and that's really important to be thinking about yeah you have to be as successful as possible yeah that that makes total sense um and so the is there any other is there um so you said the street outreach team would then like talk or like connect with people and and learn those needs and then and then direct those needs like maybe fill out a form on behalf of that person Mm -hmm. okay yeah so they would post the need for each person or i i think they might be able to do it like as a as a bulk like you know they know that they need soap for six houses and toilet paper for two houses Mm -hmm. and food for three four person households or whatever um and they can search the the offers on the the hub and gather those things and then either deliver them themselves or get somebody else to deliver them to the houses they need to go to perfect perfect yeah and so how um this this i love hearing about this this is amazing and so in practice how has it all kind of gone down has it been has it been pretty um seamless um or have you (laughs) run into a lot of trouble with it um, I think we were, you know, obviously nothing is seamless, course, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that we were all kind of cautiously amazed by how well things seem to go. I've heard um, that as far from as... different people before, too. I've heard that from a few <laughs> different organizations. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. We were like, man, like nothing has caught on fire. Nothing has totally blown up in our faces. <laughs> things seem to be progressing. And part, you know, not to say that I don't think that's all luck, right? Like, of like they said, yeah. like several of us knew each other before we had worked together before and built relationships. Um, and we say, you know, you move at the speed of trust. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that obviously we had kind of a head start on the relationship building. And I think we had like a decent level of skill between the seven or eight people that came together right at the beginning. Um, Mm-hmm. having done projects like this before um to really make it accelerate really a lot faster than we really thought was possible um yeah. which is i think probably a common thing with mutual aid organizations like that's one of the um the values of it is that it provides a rapid response assistance to people who need it while some of the larger machines that do response are still kind of grinding their gears a little bit to get moving so yeah. by the time by the time the cavalry shows up, we're all kind of like already have been doing this for a couple months, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's really one of the, the beauties of it is the kind of like how nimble it can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so, um, so the, let's kind of shift gears a little bit to, to the way that food, not bombs is, uh, acts as a resource. And so your, <laughs> your food, not bombs group that how how are you going about about that task of of gathering food um and then making it if you're making it and then distributing it like how does that how does that all work for you on the ground um well it's slightly different now than it was three months ago um (laughs) to say the least but (laughs) um yeah but we we started um originally we were doing meals for like events mostly um for demonstrations and marches and sit-ins and things like that. Um, And we still do that, that food support for those events. Um, You know, anywhere from like three people sitting in at the prosecutor's office to like, you know, thousands of protesters at the RNC to whatever. Um, We just kind of like, are like, sure, yeah, we'll do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also in 2016 started doing the weekly food shares 
Um, so that's not a meal. That's more like a, like a free farmer's market kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, and we basically approach distributors, the people who supply the grocery stores and restaurants with produce. Um, we have like a letter that was typed up saying like what our goals are. Um, and since like the, technically the national food not bombs is a, a 501c3, we can, um, put that on there and get them their tax break, which they're happy about. Um, and sell it as like, you know, you get to save dumpster space, you get to help the community and you get a tax break. It's like a win, win, win. Um, and then, but to be honest, like most of the people that work with us are like, they're pretty rad and like into it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, which we, cause the ones that aren't would just exclusively deal with the food bank, which we hear a lot. Um, but the ones that say yes, that we're so grateful for, we go and pick up food from them once a week. And we just like load up minivans and station wagons and SUVs um, with produce. And it's usually like, you know, 10 boxes of tomatoes and each one, there might be three squishy tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And so they're not going to pay someone to sort through that. And the food bank may not even take it, um, but we will. And so then we'll take it. Um it used to be in a, our friend's garage, one of our organizers' garage, um, and now we're kind of we're more outdoors and spread out in public places. But um, we get a team of people to sort through and pull out any bad pieces. Um, and it used to be that people could we wanted to give people as much choice as possible, and they could just decide how many tomatoes they wanted and which ones. Mm-hmm. But that involves a lot of touching of other people's food, mm-hmm. um, so we really can't do that now. Um, now we have to portion everything, um, evenly into like 80 portions or whatever, and then just give one to each person if they want it. Um, and yeah, like we've changed a lot of our procedures, but I think it's still going pretty well. And I'm really excited about the fact that we can now get, like we had requests for deliveries before for people who couldn't leave their home, um, or just didn't have transportation. Um, but we never had the capacity to do it, but I think... Mm one of the really, one of the silver linings if such a thing exists um, in this time is that there's so, been like an explosion of people who are now interested in mutual aid that had never even really thought about it before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or maybe you volunteered once and then got busy, you know, and now they have more time. And so there's all these people that we can get to not only have extra help sorting and bagging and distributing the produce, but then people who can just come and pick up boxes for three families and deliver them, which we normally would like never have enough capacity to do. Yeah. Oh, that, that is, that is so great to hear that that's, that that's how it's going. Oh, that's so amazing. Um, so the, if you were one, one question that I like to ask is like, if you were, uh, if you were to give like advice or whatever to somebody who's, who's hearing this and thinking like, okay, I think I could do this. Maybe, what what kind of advice would you give them and um and what kind of like maybe pitfalls would you make sure that they're aware of um i would say that all that you need to start it is the willingness to do it um you don't have to have any special qualifications or skill sets Mm-hmm. Or like there isn't an ideal type of person to do this work. Mm-hmm. It really is like who shows up. And yeah. so if you feel strongly that you want to like improve your own circumstances and your neighbors, right? So like you're not just in it to like give charity to other people, but you want to like 
make your own life better and other people's, then mm. just throw your hat over the wall and say, okay, well, I'm in it now. And that's yeah. the best way to, <laughs> to get in it. Um, yeah. And of course, like it's a big, there's a learning process, right? Like we have modified our procedures and, you know, tweaked our values and like, it's a constant learning process, which mm-hmm. is how it should be, I think. Yeah. Um, and there are guides out there that you can, look at to see like how other people are doing things and see what works for you and what might not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that the, yeah, like the flip side of that, the pitfall that I've for me personally has been thinking that, that there is some ideal organizer that either I have to be that ideal or I have to hold other people to ridiculous standards. Mm. Um, and that's not, what mutual aid is about and it took me a while to learn that so really um taking the time to like build relationships and value people for where they're at and if they aren't quite where you'd like them to be as far as like ideology or commitment or whatever um you know knowing how and when to really take the time to bring people along Mm -hmm. is really really important because if we just say that we're going to like cancel everyone that ever screws up then like you're not going to have a movement and people aren't going to get food so oh my gosh I could not agree more yeah that that makes total sense to hear yeah um I love hearing that and just that that willingness to jump in and and do it and make it happen and and know that know that we're going to make mistakes and that's a part of it and that's essential to growing, you know, things right. like this. Like it's inevitable. I used to get mad every time we wasted one piece of food. I'm like, oh my God, you guys, like, how could we possibly have left behind this one shriveled potato? <laughs> and like, <laughs> that's, like that perfectionism is actually a tool of like racialized capitalism and is not going to help us mm. at all. So I have really had to like train, retrain my brain not to, to think that way. Yeah, um, wow. It's, yeah. Wow. Okay. Another question that I wanted to ask was, um, when you're giving your, you do a lot of work about, um, about political education. So I was, mm-hmm. I was just going to ask if you could kind of, uh, touch a little bit on, on political education and why that's important to be doing right now and why that's important work. That's, that's really valuable right now. And then, well, why don't you just an- answer that part? And then I'll I have like part two okay. of that question afterwards. <laughs> okay. Um, Yeah, I would say I kind of, I've been interested in political education since, I don't know, like junior high, high school. Um, Mm. I had like a a pretty radical social studies teacher, Ms. Lauer, um, (laughs) (laughs) who stood by me when I wanted to start organizing for like queer rights and almost got kicked out of school for it and like all these things i got like a crash wow. course really quick yeah um in like power dynamics and how they work and i learned what the aclu is and what a lawsuit is and all kinds of things mm-hmm. um so that was a really great experience and then i kind of like forgot about it for a while through college um and then like yeah i think just seeing all of the things that are happening in our world that we know aren't right has inspired a lot of people to start digging deeper and reading more and not just um, getting the like three mainstream news source articles about something, but really digging into the, like the, the root of the problem, Mm -hmm. which wasn't really something 
I thought about a lot before, but I think a lot more people are interested in it now. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, that for me, I started noticing an uptick in that in like peers, maybe 2014, but it's mm-hmm. really taken off since 2016. Yeah. And um, I think that it is a unique opportunity to really build up the new world that we all want. Um, and that requires not like, when you say political education, I don't mean you have to be like a theory nerd or you have to like read every um, theory of socioeconomic change <laughs> ever or something like that. Although you can, that's yeah. great and valuable. And I have those people in my life that do that, that I can call and be like, you know, what did Lennon say about blah, blah, blah. And yeah, they always right. have the answer. <laughs> and that's great. Um, <laughs> but also when we're talking about political education, we just mean like learning from the movements and the history um, of community building and resistance that exists all around us. Mm -hmm. And no matter where you are, like that exists. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I really learned what political education meant um, relatively recently. Actually, I went through the Ann Braden white anti-racist organizing training program. Um, I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it's run by the Catalyst Project. Um, They're from the Bay Area, but I was part of, I think, one of the first, like, outside California cohorts of this program um, in Ohio. And it was, yeah, like, they do, you get, like, a certain amount of history and, like, what's happened in the United States and all over the world and how we ended up in the systems that we're in now and where they came from. Um, But you also hear a lot about, like, the flip side, like, the people who were fighting against those systems that were starving people and oppressing people throughout mm-hmm. history. Um, and I think that's really important to remember and to cite when we're talking about something like who did this work before us. And, yeah. um, and it can be as basic or as complex as you want it to be. Like there's a way to do political education with toddlers. There's a way to do political education with, Um, you know, your 70 year old grandmother who's never really thought much about politics except going to the voting booth once a year. Um, And you have to, I remember who said like, if you don't, if you can't explain something so anyone can understand it, then you obviously don't understand it. Yes. Oh my God. Einstein, I don't remember who said that. (laughs) I don't don't know who said, I've never heard that quote before, but that's now my favorite, now my new favorite quote. I think it was Einstein, but I might be just remembering a meme that misattributed that quote to him. So I should probably look it up or something I, or you should before you I'm, hear this i'm but. definitely gonna i'm definitely gonna look that up like as soon as i get done with this probably as soon as you yeah. start talking again i'll just start typing on my keyboard and like that up. okay <laughs> um, um but i really believe yeah. that you can like whatever concept you're trying to get across like if i'm trying to get across collective liberation to a group of university students who is just beginning to think about poverty and the fact that not everyone has what they have um you know you don't have to start with things that are really big overwhelming concepts you can have like really simple conversations with people about like why some people have homes and why other people don't Mm -hmm. and you can make it accessible to them in a way that helps them find their personal stake in it which i think is really important Mm -hmm. that it's not like about giving charity to other people it's about um making the world a better place so that we all have a better life and that's i guess what i aim to do with the political education work that i do yes i love hearing that Uh, okay so i did i did exactly what i said i was gonna do as soon as you started talking i looked it up (laughs) Um, and it was i'm looking right now on my computer screen at like 
200 um memes or like they're not really memes they're like the like inspirational quote things you know Mm -hmm. like pictures of albert einstein with the quote and the quote goes if if you can't explain it simply you don't understand it well enough albert einstein and so like there's a million of them there's like one by a waterfall a lot of him holding his hands folded but yeah definitely albert einstein (laughs) (laughs) i love that um yeah that that work is so important to be doing right now and um yeah. And so that's like you were saying, you can you can do political education with toddlers. You can do political education with middle schoolers with there's all these different ways to be doing that, depending on mm-hmm. your your unique like composition, your passions, your interest and your circumstances. And yeah. Yeah. So what um, during this COVID-19 moment, what are some ways that that you think that people if they are sitting at home and thinking, Oh yeah, like political education, that's my thing. That's that's my passion. That's what I want to that's the work that I'm most well suited to engage in. What are some ways that people could engage in that at a time where they can't necessarily have a workshop and invite all their friends or they can't, you know, hold a class? What are some other yeah. ways that people can be doing that right now, do you think? Um, I mean, I think a lot of people are already doing it. You know, you're sharing articles with friends, you're mm-hmm recommending documentaries um mm-hmm. maybe you can have like a a watch party for a totally. long distance watch party yeah. um starting a book club is great which can definitely be done on zoom or mm-hmm. even on a message board or something um but i think like overall just like anytime you're interested in either learning about um a social issue or sharing it with someone else just go directly to the source, like whoever is the most impacted by that issue is and read what they have to say about it and share that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we don't necessarily need like a white middle-class liberal perspective on civil rights mm-hmm. to teach someone else about civil rights. Like go find Ella Baker, go find, you know, like read mm-hmm. from the people who are directly impacted and share that with the people matter to you in a way that relates to them awesome awesome definitely cool so um you mentioned book clubs and i thought i might be making this up but i think that i saw somewhere on a news article talking about a book club that the uh cleveland that the cleveland mutual aid effort was doing is as a book club a part mm-hmm. of it or is that not i know somebody who's doing an octavia butler book club is oh, that cool. the one that you read about i don't know it's on a w wksu.org um of course but it might have been something that you know it might have when a reporter was talking to somebody from the mutual aid group they might have just mentioned it and but but yeah i i I love book clubs i think that that's a great thing for people to be doing especially right now where it's like you actually a lot of people have time to read for once in their busy lives you know right Um, and yeah and this and that's something where you can you don't necessarily have to during a during a normal book club you know a a normal non-pandemic world a lot of the what you'd be doing would be by yourself anyway just reading and then coming together once in a while so I think book club is a beautiful idea for people to get started with right now definitely um yeah awesome so that that uh oh okay and the the part two kind of of the question that I wanted to ask you was when you're when you're talking about political education and you're giving your PowerPoint um, like you were saying and you're kind of like bringing these topics up what I'm I'm wondering if there's certain topics that uh, or certain questions that people always have or if there's certain um, certain aspects or ideas that are 
always kind of tricky for people to latch on to. And um, yeah. And so what, and if so, like what, what are those? Because there's probably a lot of, there's probably a lot of people listening to the podcast who are kind of new to mutual aid and they, um, so I don't know, maybe there's, and maybe there's not, maybe it's just like the same, you know, different questions from everyone. Yeah. Um, I think it can be hard when you're new to doing this kind of work to know that to differ, to be able to differentiate when you see something happening, um, whether it's a, service provider model or mutual aid model and who that benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause people constantly are like, why, why don't you work with the food bank? Why don't you work with these like larger institutions? Um, they're doing the same work you are. You have the, the same goal. And I'm like, ah, they really don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, go, yeah. Go into that. That's really, that's really interesting to explain. Yeah. Yeah. So like when you see, I should try to do it make it more anonymous and not call out specific institutions. But when you see (laughs) a specific institution um, giving out assistance in some way, whether that's clothing or food or um, mental health counseling for free or something, um, and you know that that is, um, it's a one-way flow of labor, right? So like there's the people providing the assistance and then there's the people receiving the assistance mm-hmm. and it's a transaction that's happening. Yeah. yeah. Right. So like generally the people who are receiving the assistance are not participating. They're not like, they may be friendly, but they're not building like a, a relationship where the two people rely on each other. Mm. Um, and that person providing the assistance is, might be paid. They might be a volunteer, but where all of the resources are coming from is usually paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's either grant funded or the people who are receiving the service are actually paying for it. Um, the example that I use in my presentation is like when you have a mental health diagnosis or maybe you're um, battling addiction um, or whatever, you might go and seek out therapy from a licensed therapist and either you pay them or your insurance company pays them, or maybe it happens at like a free clinic and the clinic gets grant funding to pay them. Yeah. But you are the recipient of that service and they are the provider. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mutual aid model is more like um, a support group. So a group of people that have all received the same HIV diagnosis or people who are all battling addiction or, um, you know, people who all are going through cancer treatment and they're all sitting in a circle together providing support to each other. Some may be more experienced in this than others, but they're all benefiting from each other's perspectives. Mm -hmm. And there isn't one person or one entity that's there to give like a top down Mm -hmm. distribution of assistance. Um, And so that's like, just training your eye to see those things when you go into situations, totally. not to say that like that there's no value in service providers. There absolutely is. There are some things that you definitely would want from a service provider. I'm always going to choose to get surgery from yeah. a surgeon <laughs> that is providing that yeah. service from a large institution. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but when we're talking about the difference between charity and solidarity, which is what mutual aid is all about. Mm -hmm. We have to be talking about how we're building the new world that would make charity 
irrelevant Yeah, because if the system was working, then we wouldn't need to do the mutual aid in the first place. Mm -hmm. So we're here. We're only here because the system is broken and failing us. Mm -hmm. So when people are like, oh, we should just leave all politics out of this and just help people or, you know, that's like something that comes up a lot. People get really uncomfortable you know, they just want to give out food or they just want to um, give out clothes or whatever, mm-hmm. but they don't want to talk about the systemic failures that got us to this place to begin with. Yeah. And when we do that, we're not really, we're doing ourselves and our community a disservice Yeah. Um, because you have to get to the root problem. Otherwise, all you're doing is propping up the people that are benefiting from that broken system and who mm-hmm. designed it not to serve us yes oh my gosh totally yeah and yeah that 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 makes total sense and, and it totally relates to it um to a conversation that i was having yesterday with the episode before this which was uh jeff smith who was talking about um about the the billionaire class the capitalist class and their mm-hmm. their investment in charity and the way that they ways yeah. that they use that as as mm-hmm. a, a way to to kind of take to divert attention in a way from the from the systems that are causing these problems and the these yeah. systems that you're that you are like pointing a finger straight at and be like look this is why we can't take politics out of it these systems, right. these systems are causing the problem and it's not it's not something that's just randomly happening this is happening on purpose um, yes absolutely yeah and that's what i mean mutual aid is like it is a survival strategy but it's also an act of advocacy mm-hmm. and you can't separate the two. If it's, if you're just focusing on meeting people's material needs and not doing any advocacy, then it's not mutual aid. So, um, and that's also what makes it a unique opportunity sometimes. Um, like I think uh, I want to say like two or three years ago, um, food, not bombs in Florida, sued the local government that tried to pass an ordinance saying that you need a permit to distribute food even if it's free Mm. so they're trying to basically say like you all are basically a food truck and you have to pay the same fees that someone selling tacos does um which obviously would make it totally impossible to do that work um Mm. but the judge the federal judge ruled that what food not bombs is doing is protected under the first amendment because it's a political statement wow so sharing food as a way of protesting war or poverty or hunger or capitalism or whatever mm-hmm. is a political act and it's political speech and it's protected. Yes. Wow. That, yeah, that's amazing. That makes total sense. Um, yeah, that I love, yeah, I, I love that, that part of it and that, that question. And that's something that definitely with this podcast that I'm, I'm really, happy to hear people with a lot of, to bring a lot of that perspective to this conversation. Um, yeah. So thanks so much for your, for your input and your insights with all of this. It's very, uh, very illuminating. And so, yeah, it's, it's been oh, great, awesome. great to talk with you. Um, seriously, really thanks appreciate for it. for letting me ramble. No, yeah. It didn't, didn't sound like rambling to me at all. I was, <laughs> I was with you the whole way that, um, so before we leave, I wanted to see if you could plug some of the, uh, the website for, uh, the, for the Cleveland um, pandemic response, AKA CPR. Um, mm-hmm. So the there's the cleveland.recovers.org. And yeah. is there another website for Cleveland uh, pandemic response? Um, or is that the main one? 
I would say that if you want like um, updates about what we're working on and um, the ideas that we want to be talking about and all that stuff, really the best place to look is our public Facebook page, um, which is like where we just, you know, put out statements all the time. Um, We have a public Facebook page, I think an Instagram and a Twitter. And then there is also like a a community forum, which is, you know, like a, a group on Facebook where people can talk about things um although cool. i would say that's pretty much for people who live in northeast ohio cool and so um, if they if they just search on facebook or instagram if they just search cleveland pandemic yeah. response it'll come up it should yeah or cpr for short okay rad so yeah if you're interested go check that out for sure and um yeah and, and to hear more episodes of this podcast go to mutualaidlockdown.com or if you want to talk about your project and um, or if you just want to ask questions or anything, email mutualaidlockdown at gmail.com. Yeah. So thanks again so much, Maggie. It was really awesome to talk with you and, um, we'll talk with you soon. All right. Okay. Thanks so much.